Hey, I'm Jake Brennan, and I want to tell you about Disgraceland, the award-winning music and true crime podcast that I host. Disgraceland tells the stories of musicians getting away with murder and behaving very badly. Fleetwood Mac, Nipsey Hussle, Cardi B, Ozzy Osbourne, Taylor Swift, Tupac, The Beatles, Amy Winehouse, Jay-Z, The Grateful Dead, and so many more. This is not the music history you've heard before. This is an uncensored, immersive look at the lives of musical icons as seen through the crimes they've committed or that have been perpetrated against them. Did Jerry Lee Lewis murder his fifth wife? What really happened to Sam Cooke in that seedy motel at 3 a.m.? And how did the Rolling Stones wind up sleeping with the First Lady? Wait, what? New episodes of Disgraceland drop every Tuesday with bonus episodes released on Mondays and Thursdays. So get in, buckle up, and join me in Disgraceland. Available right now, wherever you get your podcasts. Rock and roll. Hi, this is Lowell Tolhurst, co-founder of of The Cure. This is Budgie, co-founder of The Creatures, drummer with The Slits, and Susie and the Banshees. Welcome to Curious Creatures. Life after punk. You may think you know the territory, but we We drew the map. map. Well, it, it was, we were indoctrinated at birth, really. We, yeah. We, yeah, we were yeah. we were roped into the Roman Catholic, uh, the Church of Rome. Oh yeah, my mother was a Catholic convert. You know, my my father was sort of died in the wool atheist, but my mother was a Catholic convert. So I had to go to Catholic school, and that was quite unusual because there wasn't that many Catholics in England. In fact, Henry the Eighth took over most of the Catholic churches in England and decided it was his own religion, became the Church of England. So the Catholic churches in England were, were not the nice places like, you know, you see in America, they were they were the sort of, you know, the uh, old hall on the edge of town generally because, you know, all the nice churches have been taken over by, uh, like I say, Henry VIII. But... Um, that probably, if I think about it, that probably fueled my sense of being an outsider from the very beginning because I didn't go to school in my town. I had to go get on a bus and go to the next town to go because there wasn't a Catholic school in the town I was born in. Interesting. Um, see, yeah. my, my school was at the bottom of my street. Oh, you're the, lucky. The Roman Catholic Church, St. Mary's Low House Church, had a, a full carillon of bells. Right. Which, which and the bells were played by a keyboard, uh, by wow. a guy called Joe Dennett, and uh, he could play like hits of the day uh, as well as any hymn you care to mention. <laughs> on this, the bells, on the bells, it was this wow. church, this church, carillon of bells was amazing. It's one of the few in the country. Wow. Let me see, uh, Lol. We were I've been asked about the cults that we were roped into at birth. Yeah. Um because yeah. we, we had no choice in joining the Roman Catholic Church. Yeah. I was uh, you, I was an altar boy from seven till fourteen. I, I was intermittently. Started. Intermit an yeah. intermittent altar boy, but a full time choir boy. Yeah, I got roped into the choir too. But I quite liked being the altar boy on Saturdays when there were weddings because you got tipped, you know, like the, the, the 
the best man would tip you for being at the yeah. wedding. So, so you know, I did weddings and I did funerals, and uh, I learned how to look very pious for the both of them. But you know, for the funeral, slightly more solemn face, and for the wedding, you had to look joyous about it all. And you know, it was, it's quite. Did uh, you did you enjoy wearing the the robes for the altar and the uh, the, the cassock and the cotter? The cassock yeah. and the cotter, and then the alb, yeah. A-L-B, the alb. This was what the white gown that you wore over your day clothes with a white uh, rope belt and a wooden yeah. crucifix around your neck. It did have a, it had a hood as well, which we were not allowed to run around wearing. <coughs> and these were is when the this is when the choir boys could be seen, when we did Compline, we did uh, Sung Mass. Uh, oh, this and, is for the choir, right. Okay. Yeah, and that the, the Compline Mass when we wore, the, you know, the the white kind of was the closest you got to wearing priest garb, and right. we were present present on the altar at the front of the church, but in regular Mass when we sang, which was on the Sunday eleven o'clock High Mass, we were up on the choir loft at the back of the church. It was really yeah. high above the uh, above the, uh, the what I was going to say the audience, the the the, the flock. The, um, oh, right. okay. what, what do you call them in the church? The people down below, uh, congregation, the congregation, and um, so you could throw things at them, you know. But they had no idea yeah. we were up there. We were just heavenly right. voices from above. Right. Um, my my my. So my early my first school and it was Roman Catholic. It was very old. I went from like kindergarten through to like first school. Um. The th strange things were you had to go to church before school during the Lent season, which meant yeah. you could take your toast, um, buttered toast, to, to school. It was cold by the time you got there. Um, mm. And that meant because you, you couldn't have breakfast before you went to church. Weird. Oh, because you had to have communion, right? And so you couldn't yeah. eat anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But So if you'd been to, like, Mass, if you'd been a good Catholic – you could tell because if you hadn't, you didn't have your toast with you. And therefore, right. it, that wonderful smell of cold buttered toast, which kind of came out of your bag, was you know, yeah. something to savor. Actually, it's no, it's no surprise, really, that we, we went into the profession that we did because Catholicism sort of uh, imparts all that sort of you know, fire and brimstone and... Uh, a lot of theatre as well, yeah. A lot of theatrical punishment we got. <laughs> yeah. The whole school would be uh, thrashed with a wooden cane. Right. Within an inch of your life, right? Then I moved on to my high school. My high school uh, first form teacher uh, would make us stand on a chair until we could recite the catechism. <laughs> and this, wow. the catechism, I think, if, if I remember rightly, it started with... I love God, God loves me. And then if I couldn't get beyond that, it was Clark on your chair and stand there until you can recite your catechism. And if it couldn't, she just got like, she got so, I suppose, perplexed, then you just get a thrashing. So you just get like a whack on the back of the legs with a wooden stick. So well, this um, was like a bit strange, strange behavior for um, yeah. the love of God. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty uh, violent, really. I mean, I, I I'm sure maybe you had to. Do it. I'd learn all the mass in Latin, so here was a language that I had no idea 
of what I was even saying. And I had to learn all of that. And then uh, it, it just seemed, you know, very, very different, very outside of normal everyday experience. Even in the 1970s in England, it was kind of, you know, To me, that was, that, was, that was the best part of it. The Latin yeah. mass was the best part because we were singing in Latin. I learned music to sing Latin. Um, yeah. I never learned to read music, although I was reading music from, from scores in the choir loft. Um, but I, I, I still remember all of the Latin that I did learn, that I had to sing, until they switched to English. And then it suddenly became, there was no mystery anymore. Right. And then they introduced, oh, God forbid, um, they introduced um, acoustic guitars and folk mass. Oh, yeah. And that's when I renoun renounced my faith. <laughs> <laughs> you had the, the Jesuit priests. No, Franciscans, not the Jesuits. Franciscans were the ones that wore the, 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 like the brown robe with, with a, a crucifix on their belt. And they all had acoustic guitars and would sing songs to us. So, you know, it was kind of a bit, bit annoying, really. But, no. They were quite happy, though. Yeah. No, I think uh, it, it all lapsed. It all lapsed anyway. But it's funny how the stain, the stain remains, I'm afraid. The guilt, the guilt of, you know, the, the omnipotent God fills you with guilt from the, from the get-go. I, I, I used to cringe with all the things I was going through, going like, oh, he's going he's gonna to see all of this. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that, that came to a head for me when I went to uh, confession for the first time. And, uh, you know, I, I bared my soul and told the priest everything, completely convinced that he couldn't see me or know who I was on the other side of the curtain and in the little box there. And, uh, you know, he absolved my sins, which were nothing, you know, really that dangerous, you know, for a teenage boy. And then... <clears throat> Just before I left, he said, oh, Lawrence, please, please tell your mother to bring some flowers on Sunday for the church. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh, God, now he knows everything, which is, I think, really their plan. You know, they, they want to have something on you, you know, so you keep coming. This is the beginning. The beginning of, you know, the inferiority complex started right there with the confessional box because even my sins yeah. weren't good enough. It's funny because for me, the whole you know, idea of penance and mortal and venal sin and all of that was tied in with uh, being an altar boy and looking out into the congregation on Sunday benediction and seeing this particular girl that I really quite liked in, <laughs> in the congregation. And I felt, you know, I was like 13 or whatever when it's all, things are all going strangely anyway. And I almost felt like I was performing for her, of course, you know. Nothing could be further from the truth. But I think that was really the start of when I, I, I knew I had to have a life like this. You know, I had to become some kind of performer. You know? I, I took it all very literally. I, I, you know, I thought, I thought this is ridiculous. There isn't, you know, miracles. Why is that? You know, and I also thought that priests had a hotline to God. You know, right. the priests the priest were perfect. They should be. But I knew full well they were not. They were flawed, uh, very and um and we know a lot more about that now than we were aware of back then right right, um, right. and it was just i kind of I've, 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 i think there was too much inconsistency 
way too much you know the, the the fact that when we did take holy communion uh i remember the first time of course you had a little gold plate which you held underneath your chin in case a particle of the consecrated host should fall and only the priest was allowed to touch because his hands hands or fingers were anointed or or you know and yet a few years later i remember then everybody could hold this yeah. thing and and I thought, hang on, this yeah. is this is the the holy wafer, the, the 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 significant body of Christ, and it was all strange because, of course, the and the the, the holy wine which was consumed in the sacristy afterwards. I mean, yeah. it, it was weird. And then I wasn't drinking, so uh, do, am I allowed to partake in the communion? Because yeah, I, I, I wouldn't, I didn't want to drink. It was a right an eye opener for me. It was a, yeah. When I confirmed my suspicions, <laughs> that it was yeah. that organized religion kept secret a lot more than it revealed. Yeah, I think that's very true. I, I, you know, I'm not a fan of organized religion. I have to say, I'm, you know, I'm somebody who has a spiritual bent, but I'm, I'm not really a fan of organized religion. Perhaps because I've been inside a bit and I didn't. You know, at 14, uh, that's when my hair started to grow, you know, longer. And I started getting records that, you know, they probably wouldn't have endorsed at the church. And I stopped being an altar boy. I stopped being a boy scout as well. I was a boy scout and an altar boy. You know, so I was like Mr. Goody Two-Shoes right up to that point. And then I decided, no, you know, it's, uh, there's something else you know, that I want to see. So in a way, I, I can thank it for that because I think, you know, a uh, lot of lot of what people get in England at that time was a sort of watered-down version of uh, Christianity. You know, it was very, very much sort of like, you know, the tea with the vicar and come round for cupcakes on Sunday. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, like what we had, which was fire and brimstone, and you're going to hell if you don't repent. That was, it, it was just, it was just cruel and abusive. Yeah. Do you think it's, it made you more uh, committed to to finding something different in your life? It, it sent me on a, it powered me. It powered yeah. me away from that that place. It shot me out from my little town outside Liverpool and I just couldn't stop. Right. You know, I set off on a, on a course, uh, trying to, I'm not sure if I was trying to get away from it or, or find it. And that stayed with me for decades. I was yeah, like sure. 12, yeah. 12, 13. It wasn't until I was 38 when I finally got a handle on something and said, you know, the booze and drugs are not doing it, right. and and it's then the process started of going, of of trying to find what it was I wasn't finding in the in in that right. escape and and that numbing yeah. of my feelings, and the feelings I hadn't even come into contact with, which had been, if you like, bent out of shape, right. you know at that very early age and the church wasn't there to try and help to figure this out. They were just full of rituals of 
where to mm. sprinkle the holy water and how you should act. And I would sure. expect at, at least a little help from the religion that had indoctrinated you from the very right. first Holy Communion. And the right. it's a very strange theatrical show they run. <laughs> yeah. It's actually, it's, it's funny because there's that combination. I, I think other bands, you know, like even earlier bands like Pink Floyd and stuff have pointed towards this, but, you know, a combination of, of you know, the English way of being, which which is, you know, very uh, reserved in certain areas, and you put it with a, a sort of fiery, uh, fire and brimstone type of religion like that, it's made an awful lot of artists. I mean, like the Beatles, you know, uh, all kinds of people, you know, because you have to, you have something to, you know, to, to change your life. You have to you have to make some kind of extreme motion to get out of it. So. It ends up making you be become a more extreme artist, and if you're a more extreme artist, you're more likely to uh, to be noticed. So I think that's probably you know something that helped in a way, in a roundabout way. Yeah, yeah I certainly. I don't know if this is if it's true for all of us, but certainly a lot of the people I've met and worked with mm. spun out on some kind of tangent to their peers at an early age yeah. from some kind of trauma or interruption or kicking against something that was, uh, that was restrictive, that was uh, right. maybe abusive. Uh, and we wanted to run away and join the circus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, very often there's that at the root of uh, creative thought, you know, do you think, do you think it found its way into your early music, into your writing? Yeah. Yeah because it was anti-establishment by virtue of, you know, just what had happened to us as children. You know, we weren't, we didn't feel uh, at, at one with it. I mean, you know, we weren't, we weren't kind of welcomed and our attitude was disruptive. They couldn't really, you know, they put us in, they put us in the gym in the school for a whole semester, for a whole term. Uh, we didn't have any breaks or lunch or anything for that length of time, just because they were trying to break us because we were like a whole class put in there because we were not um, we were not buying it basically, and uh, like like you know like a recalcitrant horse, they were trying to trying to break us, but it didn't really work, you know, because it never does really, and uh, off we went. I'm aware of what you know what you said earlier about uh, the stiff upper lip of the British yeah. post-war sure. crowd. That you know, that, that's us, yeah. and um, the fire and brimstone coupled with this Britishness. Yeah, and when, if you like, the first rankling, the first uh, feelings of the movement called punk, right in '76, '76, you know. Yeah. It, it certainly felt like at last we have something we can adhere to, something we can just go, this means something to us. Because yeah. all that stuff we've been brought up with, all those, if you like, uh, ideals and the, the, the wrath of God, was suddenly we were able to kind of just push it where we knew it should be and, yeah. and, and speak out for ourselves in a way. It was um, it was it was a straitjacket that 
you know they they kind of it was it was like the sort of a, a very cotton wool straight jacket because it wasn't outwardly brutal but it was you know it was enough to make you toe the line the whole time and at certain points yeah that was definitely what punk was for me it was like mm-hmm. hey we, we don't have to do something the same way anymore we could do something different you know Curious Creatures is created and presented by Vol Tolhurst and Budgie. Producer, Joe Wong. Producer and audio designer, Dan Didier. Executive producer, Mark Cates. Associate producer, Sophie Spare. Social media, Margie Taylor. Art and logo design, Justin Thomas K. Music production, Jack Knife Lee. Curious Creatures is on the web. And you can access us at www.curiouscreaturespodcast.com. I love saying www.curiouscreaturespodcast.com. And you can reach us on Instagram, Facebook, <laughs> at Curious Creatures Official, Twitter, at Cure Creatures. To find more of the best music podcasts, visit doubleelvis.com or follow at doubleelvis on Instagram and at doubleelvisfm on Twitter. Curious Creatures is a production of LXB LLC 2021.